telling a very compelling story during his message. Then after church, his little girl asked, she said, Daddy, was that story really true, or were you just preaching? So, so we want to talk about, I'm going to talk about virtue uh, this morning. And we should have virtue in everything that we do. And obviously there needs to be virtue in the pulpit or when, when a pastor delivering a message. So virtue is very important because it should be natural to us because of Jesus being, being so virtue. And you look at, uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians, the fruits of the Spirit. And I've shared this with people before. And I hope that we understand what I'm saying is that if I had the choice between a particular spiritual gift or a, or a gift, fruit of the Spirit, I'd probably go with the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit talks about Jesus' very character. Love, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, self-control, etc. So not to take any way from gifts, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we need to have those components. Did not Paul talk about that? So... So that's where we're going to, going today, going to be uh, going today in this message. Virtue, virtue speaks to the characteristics found in Jesus Christ. So let's first look at um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So walking in the Spirit is applying the virtues of Jesus' very nature. Virtue is doing really, if you look at it from a secular perspective, it's doing what is right and turning away from what is wrong. Christian virtue grows out of, of, of faith, a desire to please God. Faith, a desire to please God. And that's really, that's really transformation. We are transformed if you're born again, and you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's when the transforming process really starts. We want to become more like Christ. You, you feel that way? Remember if you've been, when you first became a Christian, and suddenly your values started to change. You know, that's the Holy Spirit moving in a person. We want to be different. We want to, we want to become more like Christ, that Christ-likeness. And so that is what I call transformation. So when you talk about virtue, at first when I thought about this way, I thought, well, gee. You know, we can talk about things that please the Lord. And like I said last week, sometimes I feel like I'm talking to the choir because you guys owe so much into your faith and understand really where I'm coming from. But I think it's very important that we really understand what it means to please God. You know, we are, our goal should be, really, mine, is to please Jesus Christ. What he's done for me, all he's done, that should be my goal. Now, as I talk, we realize that none of us are perfect. We blow it. So I'm not talking about being the perfect Christian. I'm talking about being in Christ and seeking our warts and all to be more like Jesus Christ. So my first thought is, number one, it starts with Jesus. We're looking at John 8, verses 28 through 29. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. 
and that I can do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always, for I always do what pleases him. How many taken physics? Okay, we got physics, okay. Now, is this true? They say, the law of physics says, two different objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That's probably fundamental, is it, in physics? Well, there I call, then I have what I call a, the spiritual law of physics, and that is that you cannot please Jesus and please the flesh at the same time. There's a big difference there. Are you with me? We cannot please Jesus and the flesh at the same time. Pleasing Jesus starts with submitting to him. If you look at verse 28, it talks about Jesus remaining with the Father. And the Father, in turn, lifts up Jesus. But then when you get to... So we're, talking about, we're all talking about here submitting to Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. So, so we can say that, that Jesus' virtue starts there, but it doesn't end there. It ends with this. You look at verse 29, it, it talks about Jesus pleasing God. Jesus' goal was to please the Father. Jesus sought to please God. And the result is number two, thought is God is pleased. Matthew 3, uh, 3 16 through 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And the voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and then with him I am well pleased. This is one of the two occasions when God spoke audibly to convey that Jesus that he was pleased with Jesus. Verse 17. And a voice from heaven said again, This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And I thought about that. I thought about how God just loved, loved Jesus. And God followed Jesus from when he was born. And how many of you have been to a wedding that during the reception or whatever that they would have like a presentation of the bride and the groom, the music would be playing, and then they'd show slides of the bride and groom when they were like when they were first born, blah blah, when they're three years old, four years old. When I my I did a wedding years ago in Princeton, Illinois, when I was there, and this was the wedding of the year. It was a big social bash of the year. And I was there in all my, Mike, I had my black robe on, I had my white vestments, and this was it. I had to comb my hair just right. I mean, this was the wedding. I'm not exaggerating. And so we had the wedding at the church. Then we had the reception. The reception was held, was held out the, at, the, at the country club. And it was there that I really experienced this, watching the young ones. So we had, I don't know what song was playing, it was... Um, Louis Armstrong had a song out years ago. Oh, you know what I'm talking about, some of you. Anyway, it was a kind of like, like a melancholy song. So we hear the music, and we see the slides, and the people, oh, oh, and laughing to see the, 
you know, the, the bride when she's three years old, four, now she's getting married and she is married, whatever. And, and the idea is watching your kids grow up. Watching your kids grow up. That is so special, isn't it? So God was watching Jesus. He watched him from his birth in a manger. He watched him as a child. He watched him at 12 years old when Jesus went into into Jerusalem to do his father's business. God was watching him when he became a carpenter. God is still watching him when Jesus put away his wood-making tools. And finally, when Jesus was baptized, that really marked the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And through all of that, God was watching and watching him and watching him. And then what did he say? I'm well pleased. How awesome is that? God said, I am well pleased. And Jesus, throughout the word of God, he said, I'm, you know, I wanted to please the, please the Father. Please him. How am I doing? Am I doing a good job? Remember, Jesus was fully God and fully man. He wanted to please his Lord. And that really says something. To me, it speaks volumes about how we are to respond to the idea that we are, we are, we are we're called to please him. So God sealed his approval by saying to Jesus, I am well pleased. I am well pleased with you. God also, I believe, provides a great example of how we are to affirm our family and our friends, especially, I think, I'm going to touch based on our family. God affirmed Jesus. I am well pleased. Are we well pleased with our family? You know, they say, Psychology 101 tells us that, that a child's self-image is grounded in their perception of what their parents think of them. So as parents, what we say to our children has value. It, and it has long-lasting value. How many of you heard of uh, Phil Mickelson? The golfer, Phil. Anybody? A few people, yeah. And he's probably, arguably, one of the greatest golfers of all time. Yeah, we've got Tiger Woods and Jack, whatever. I don't want to get into that. But we all know that he's very successful as a golfer. But what a lot of people don't know is that Phil Mickelson is a, is a family man. And uh, he is a, is a Christian. I don't know much about his Christian walk, but he seeks to walk the faith. He has three children. And during this one period of time, a few years ago, it was during the, if you're not a golfer, that's not going to be anything to you, but it's one of the big four majors in golf that it was the, I think it was U.S. Open, Mickelson had won the other three, but had never won that fourth one. And so it was coming, but guess what happened that time? 
He looked at the calendar, whatever in the family, his daughter was gradu- graduating from Brown University. And he didn't hesitate. He said, I'm not going to go to the tournament. I'm going to watch my daughter graduate. And I love what he said. He basically said, said, as I look back on life, that moment, that moment that I will always cherish forever, I'll be so glad to be present at her graduation. Can you imagine that? He lost out, I know, he lost out on millions of dollars and the potential of winning that tournament because his priorities were right. His daughter then winning a golf tournament. And for me, that just spoke volumes. You know, it's interesting that as parents, we need to affirm our kids. I just said that, right? But this is for young people here. This is for you guys. Your parents need to hear from you how proud you are of them. Now, I'm not talking about Mother's Day and Father's Day here only. That kids need to know that, they're, that, they're, that uh, the parents understand that they are proud of them as parents, even as grandparents, right? You know, that is so, so, so important. I believe it is for me. I had, it was a few years ago, when my one granddaughter, she was 10 years old, and she called me up, and she said she had a, a school assignment and her school assignment was on, she had to write an essay, interview essay, on your real superhuman hero. And like I was telling Chris, they never call me grandpa, they call me Bops. And she said, Bops, she said, could you come over to the house, I want to interview you. And I said, you know, for what? And she told me, I said, well, what are you going to say? You know, of course. You know, I'm, I'm not going to share with you uh, the interview or the comments, and she showed me her essay when, uh, after she had it, and it was very personal and very special to me. And I thought to myself, she probably doesn't feel that way now. That was, that was about five, six years ago when she was 10. But I'm thinking to myself, how special did I feel as her grandparent to know that she felt that way? You know, it, it, to me, it was very, very, very special. So these things are important. And some people have a hard time sharing their, their feelings, their emotions. I'm just saying to you, if, that's, if you have a hard time sharing your emotions and whether with your children, your family, pray about that. Ask God to help you open up and be more, share your heart, what's in your heart. It's a wonderful thing to do that, isn't it? Well, anyway, I think it is. So we'll just kind of we'll just kind of move on here. Um, I heard an amen, so that's a good thing. The second time God spoke audibly, he, he in expressing his pleasure with Jesus was at the Transfiguration. We need to go there and look at um, Matthew seventeen one through eight. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, 
talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. The transfiguration was key to Jesus' ministry. On this occasion, God allowed his inner circle. He allowed his inner circle to see Jesus as fully God and fully man. Then the scriptures tell, tell us that, that uh, Jesus' clothes became white as light and a bright cloud overshadowed them when suddenly they heard a booming voice come forth from a cloud And remember again, verse 5, and it said, and as I read it, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The voice of God spoke authority over Jesus' ministry. Wouldn't it be something to have God expression his pleasure with us here and now? Wouldn't that be cool? And we heard such a booming voice of power and authority that would literally knock us off our chairs. That's basically what happened. They, the, the three, they went right to the ground. That's what God does to us. That great booming voice. You know what it is? I, God was so pleased with Jesus Christ because Jesus sought to always please his God. Think about that. He always sought to please his God. And so what is the result of all of that? It really moves us into my third point, and that is pleasing Jesus. I'm saying this again. How about us? Are we pleasing Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must have all appeared before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, Probably over every sink, probably in, on this planet, you'll find one thing. You'll find a sponge. Right? In the kitchen sink, there's a sponge going to be somewhere. You know, yesterday I did a very good thing. Rudy, I was very, yes. Jan, went, her goal was to clean the refrigerator inside and out. So I had to make a decision at that point. Do I A, help her? Do I B, come up with some other excuse and say, yeah, I can't do that. I have to do something else. So what I did was uh, my conscience caught up with me. 
So as Jan is cleaning the refrigerator, putting, you know, the, what do they call them? Put the lettuce in and the onions, the, the bins or whatever, pulling them out, I stepped over her once, I realized I can't do that. So I stopped what I was doing. And, okay, I said, I'll help you clean up. So I said, I'll do clean the inside stuff in there. So I took them over to the sink, and I grabbed, we all have it, that little old common sponge that's over the kitchen sink. You know, the little one, you know. But it's interesting, isn't it? I don't know where my mind goes, but I thought, okay, <clears throat> I'm going to clean these things. So first thing I have to do is I have to what? I put the detergent on the sponge. Well, that's how I do it. Probably wrong. And then I just soak it with water and let the water run on it. It's an amazing thing to me. I probably need to get a life because I thought to myself, this is an amazing thing, the sponge. The sponge is an amazing thing because you keep pouring water into it. It absorbs the water, doesn't it? You can take the sponge. It's heavy. You can squeeze it and water comes out, but it's still moist. You know, I say this because Paul wanted to soak up Jesus Christ like a sponge. Like a sponge. He wanted, he wanted just to soak him up. His goal was to please his Lord. Was to please his Lord more than everything else. Please Jesus in the present knowing that one day that his works would be reviewed by Christ at judgment time. And I thought of that and I thought to myself, that should be us. We should want to absorb Jesus Christ like a sponge in everything that we do by our actions, you know, our words, our deeds for his glory and for his honor. How do I please Jesus? How do we do that? What does that look like for you? Do you think that Jesus Christ is pleased today? He's pleased that you're in church. All of us. He's pleased when you're kind to someone. He's pleased when you're in your word and you're reading your word. He's pleased when you pray. He's pleased when you serve. He's pleased that you, don't, that you are seeking to follow him each and every day, God is pleased. So you can think of a million ways that we can please Jesus Christ. And you can do that yourself. So you need to ask yourself the question, are you pleasing your Lord? I ask that myself. Am I pleasing my Lord? And sometimes I'm not pleasing him because I'm not perfect. Neither are you. It's never going to happen where you're going to be 100% pleasing your Lord because when that happens, you're going to be in heaven. As long as we're on this earth, we are susceptible to sin. We all know that. But the goal always is, and we're going to finish with that one, is to seek to please our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we do, the blessings come. Do we seek to serve Jesus Christ for all the benefits the blessings. I hope that we serve to see uh, to serve Jesus Christ because we love Him first, and the blessings just kind of flow after that, don't they? Okay, number four. 
I don't know, Ron, do you think we're making it here? Um, fill your mind and heart with the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, 3.16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped with, for every good work. The Bible says the word is God-breathed. God breathed in the word of God. The word of God equips us to grow spiritually. The word of God equips us to serve. The word of God is his compass for us. It's our guideline on how to live and navigate through all the trials and issues of life. Amen? And I believe, I believe today that the church at large, I'm not going to hammer any particular church. I'm just saying the church at large, that's always a good, safe word to use. The church at large needs to get back to the Bible. Need to get back to the Bible. If the church at large, that includes pastors, Sunday school teachers, leaders, if they would just share and teach the word of God, then Satan would not be able to run roughshod over the world and our country as he's doing now. Can, the, can anybody here honestly say, in their own hearts and minds, if you look at what's going on in the world, in our country, that Satan is not in that somewhere? He is doing some pretty nasty thing to people. I can't believe, I'm not getting into politics, but I can't believe some things that I watch on television, on the news, and say to myself, how can people actually follow this? How can people actually believe this? But Satan is the great deceiver. That's what he does best. Amen? And he does that. And the amazing thing I've learned about all of this is, um, got to watch what I say. Can't be too political here. And that is, my wife sees her, her three childhood friends on a regular basis. And they're all extremely intelligent women. I say that in all honesty. But they're also extremely, quite frankly, naive what's going on in the world. And I say to myself, how can that be? These women are bright academically. Because Satan can get in there and he can trick all of us. Amen? And amen. So I think I better stop right there with that one. But... Um, not going any further. But there is a concern. I shared that with you a few uh, weeks ago. Assemblies of God, they sent out pastors and churches. I have that, by the way. A letter of concern about the churches in general. About the people. I'm talking, we're talking about the people in the church. That only, what, 17, 17 or 90% of all of our members are reading the word of God on a regular basis. So that's become a national concern for the church. And so they put together plans on how to get people back into the Bible. That just broke my heart. I thought, gee, I thought we were better than that. But that's a reality. People are not reading the word of God. You guys are. I'm excluding you guys are. But people just aren't enlarged. They're not into the word of God. How can we know? How can we know what God wants us to do if we are not in the Word? See, what we do, what we am talking about people, is they go to other people. 
Well, so-and-so said this. So-and-so said that. Have you read this book? I'm a book reader, so I'm not knocking reading books. But everything is on the author and the books. It's not. It's in the Word of God. Test everything through the Word of God. Test what I say through the Word of God. If there's something you say, well, I don't know if he's right about that, then go to the Word of God and test it. Make sure that it comes from the Word rather than just simply my, you know, my philosophy or my perspective. Does that make any sense to you? And the last one, number five, is you're being watched. So let's look at Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Isn't it wonderful? We need to praise knowing that we only have another 45 minutes to go. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Watch out for false prophets. Jesus is speaking. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes for thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. This is pretty fundamental, isn't it? It's easy to follow. Jesus made it very easy for us to understand here. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. How many times did Jesus have to say that? You know, he wanted them to understand very simply what he was talking about. Then he continues, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, here comes a real hard verse. Not everyone, Jesus is speaking, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Jesus uses the spiritual fruit test in discerning if we are walking with him. False prophets here are not exclusively false teachers of the word. He's also talking about false proclaimers of the faith. What does that mean? False proclaimers of the faith are people in the pews. Any church, any given Sunday, he's talking about people that have come to know him or say they know him, but they really don't know him. Does that make any sense to you? I think it's very important that we understand that verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How do we explain that? That it can be so tricky. So I'm going to try it this way. Remember, some of you are there right now, but remember... When uh, your child was like two, three years old. Now, Ron and Sue, you probably can pick up on this one, but your children, two and three years old, let's go back in time. And suddenly you walk up to the room, the bedroom, and you see your three-year-old with one crayon in one hand and one crayon in the other. 
Then you look behind and you see all these marks all over the wall. And then the dialogue starts. Did you color on the wall? No. Are you sure that you didn't color on the wall? Yes. Then it continues, doesn't it? Then the dialogue continues until finally the little one breaks down and confesses. You know, what I'm saying here is what we say ultimately confirms what we do. If we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and we confess that with our mouth, and we do all sorts of wonderful things for the church, I serve on this board, I serve on that committee, I do this, I do that, I give to the church, and all those things, then how can Jesus say, I never knew you? Why would he say that? Because in confessing our faith in Jesus Christ needs to be followed in some form by actions. By our actions. Does that make any sense to you? Somewhere along the line, I'm not talking about being perfect. Well, blow it. I know that. So hear me. I'm not saying that, that we have to be perfect because we're not going to be perfect. But as we grow through life as Christians, our fruit will come out. That's what Jesus is saying. He's looking into the heart. He said, how's your heart? Is your heart good with me? I know you're going to blow it. But is your heart good? Is your heart on me? Remember King David? And what the Bible say? That, you know, you, David was the apple of God's eye. Why? David was a sinner. David blew it time and time again. But God knew his heart. He knew his heart was right with him. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts. Amen? I want to close with this. Well, maybe. We'll see how this goes. When my... I was talking to my, my son here a couple weeks ago, and I don't know, we got on the conversation the church or what have you, and he lives in Bloomington, and I remember he said years ago, he said, you know, Dad, he said, I was looking for, we were looking for a church. And he said, we went to a Presbyterian, oh, look, look, forget I said that. Just take that out of there. Uh, he said, we went to this church. And he said, boy, he said, you know, we really liked it. He said, the pastor was preaching the word. And we really thought, well, this could be maybe for us. They were looking for a church. And so he got together with a pastor. They want to talk to the pastor and get you know, more of the one-on-one with the pastor, what's going on. And they did. And he said, you know, he says, as we start talking, he started using profanity. And, and my son, he's a preacher's kid. And he said, you know what, Dad? He said, that just did not hit me very well. He said, I thought this is not consistent. You know, I'm, I, this troubles me. So I said, well, what'd you guys do? He said, we never went back. I said, well, okay. You know, if that's, that's all you feel, David, whatever. But, but he, the point I'm trying to make is this. People are watching you. If you're a Christian, people are watching you. And perhaps they're watching you in, at church, 
in a prayer, in a, in a Bible study. Perhaps they're watching you in the gym when you work out. Perhaps they're watching you at work. Perhaps they're watching you in school. At the store, whatever. You see what I'm saying? If people know that you are in Christ, people are going to be watching you and what you are doing. So what are you doing? You know, if, would God be ashamed? Would, would, would God be ashamed of what you're doing? Again, don't we all blow it? I do. Sometimes God's not, not affirming what I'm doing. But God is watching us. Living a victorious life happens when our inward faith produces outward actions of bearing, bearing fruit in what we do. And that's seen by others. So we are the light, aren't we? We're called to be the light. We're called to be examples. You are an example in your home. Mom and dad, do your kids see Jesus' fruit in you? Husband, wife, you know, how about you? Sometimes I don't think my wife sees Jesus' fruit in me. But we call each other up. Hey, what's up? Something doesn't seem to be right here. And that's very important to see how important it is. I cannot say this enough, young people, and with, with, with children, how important this is in the growth of your family, from, your, from husband, wife, to children. People and kids are watching what you are doing, what I'm doing. Do some people, I'm almost done, Sue. Do some people, like for example, maybe some people want you to stumble. Maybe some people are waiting for you as a Christian to say the bad thing. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? God is watching. God is watching right now. And when we are sincerely seeking him, that's when we're pleasing Jesus and give God such great pleasure. It's wonderful to know that I can only speak for myself in closing that I can honestly say to my God, I want to please you. I love you so much that I want to please you. But I know Sometimes I blow it. I know sometimes I'm not, what I'm doing is not pleasing to you. But as a loving father, he forgives me in Christ when I confess. Confessing is so, so important in the faith. And when we're wrong, admit it. When I'm wrong, I have to admit it to him because I can't hide it from him anyway. But when I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. That pleases our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. And I pray, Lord, that if any of my brothers and sisters here today are struggling with something in their lives, perhaps in their own heart of hearts, they're not pleasing, doing something pleases you, Lord. I pray that you will convict them. You will touch their hearts right now, Lord. 
And let them know that you're with them, that you love them, that you never leave them nor forsake them. Warts and all, no matter what they've done, Lord, that you forgive and forget. I pray, Lord, for any here that is really struggling in their faith, not sure about your love, not sure that they're even saved, not sure about following you, that, Jesus, you will touch their hearts now and give them that assurance that they so desperately need by receiving you, Jesus, as their personal Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord. Oh, I thank you, Lord, that how much you just love us unconditionally. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.